I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Eric Fitzmedrug, PhD and author of The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. If you're a man who's confused about consent, you aren't alone. In the post-Me Too era, men know they need to get consent but don't know how to ask for it. They may be afraid of doing the wrong thing or worried about getting giving up hot, hot sex. Eric Fitzmedrud, PhD, explains how toxic masculinity harms men, thus ruining sex for themselves and their partners. Today, consent on college campuses is a particular area of concern. He shows men how to celebrate male sexuality and how to learn evidence-based skills and strategies for practicing consent. Getting consent can be sexy. He also shows men how to communicate more effectively in their relationships using principles of safety and health to pursue passionate sex. Uh, he, Dr. Fitzmedrud, who identifies as polyamorous and bisexual, is a licensed psychologist and a member of the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. He earned his PhD from Loyola University in Chicago. Welcome to the show. Can I call, uh, call you Eric? Yeah, doctor. Yeah, that's just fine. Eric is okay. just fine. And just a minor correction, I did attend Loyola University of Chicago briefly, but I got my PhD from the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Oh, okay, good. Thank you for the correction. We want to be accurate. No worries. Okay, yeah. The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, yes. Stronger Relationships, and Hunter Says. This whole thing about consent, I mean, I get questions, of, I'm a social worker, about that every day. What we? I don't think... Well, that's why you wrote the book, I guess. So how do you negotiate consent uh, amongst partners? But before we get in that, I said, and you describe yourself as uh, polyamorous and bisexual. People get confused about polyamorous. What does that mean? Bisexual is easy. We get it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Polyamory is one form of consensual non-monogamy. So that means that I have multiple partners, but all of my partners know that I have multiple partners. And polyamory in particular is oriented typically and described as attaching and connecting and more about emotions and relationship than just about having sexual relationships outside of one connected relationship. So in my experience, I have two committed life partners. I don't date other people. I live with both of my partners and we're in it for the long haul. Well, then you are the expert, I have to say. (laughs) A lot of experience, both academic and practical. So, all right. Thank you for explaining that. Um, So we're talking about consent. All right. That's the focus of the book. I, I think men are have no idea whether they're in college or whether they have, you know, at whatever age they are. What does consent mean in the context of all the Me Too movement and um, the context of our sexual activities or our today? I think that a lot of men get really focused on the question of consent, focused on preventing sexual assault, preventing harm to partners, preventing uh, reputation damage for them, and it creates a lot of fear. And I really like to reframe consent. It is all of those things, but it also has this upper limit, this aspirational element, and uh, it can be a guiding sexual ethic, not just to prevent harm, but to 
pave the pathway for care and tenderness and all the way up to the highest sexual pleasure for us and our partners. And I think that we need to reframe our mind from getting consent to being in the consent process, offering, giving, getting, receiving pleasure. Because when you're in a relationship or a potential relationship and someone is trying to pressure you to have sex, it doesn't mm-hmm. usually work out very well if someone's trying to force you. I mean, uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, and force is, again, we're talking there about the low bar, but in long-term relationships, a lot of the situations that I see in my practice is not men you know, pushing past a no. A lot of the situations that I see in my practice is men who have a hard time regulating their emotions when their partner does say no. So the partner says no, and then he's moping, sad, frustrated, maybe resentful or angry about his partner. He's not trying to push past that no, but he can't tolerate the no emotionally either, which creates indirect pressure in a person who otherwise thinks of themselves as consent-oriented, maybe even feminist, a good man, quote-unquote. But we haven't been taught the emotional relational tools to take care of ourselves and our emotions. And that creates unintentional consequences when we get into relationship, when we start dating, when we're desperate for connection and human love and touch. And a lot of my book is trying to help fill in those gaps so that by the time we get to consent conversations, we can navigate them more skillfully. All right. Can we put it Give us examples. Put all of this in a context. Let's take the young person. I mentioned it earlier. Uh, college students. Uh, sure. Yeah. Because, you know, so I'm a, a Yeah. It was just my background of being a, a baby boomer. And uh, it, it was, you know, men come up to you in college in a bar and they want to connect with you, sleep with you. That. And sort of, I think in those days, feeling the pressure. So, yeah. and yeah, let's talk about that. So the old narrative of dating for men was, you know, don't take no for an answer. Keep pushing that good women you know, are, are supposed to say no multiple times. And I think the younger generation now knows better, but we still may not have replaced those old scripts with new scripts. And I think in particular, you know, men now know, okay, if you approach someone in a dating situation where maybe being approached is expected like a bar, if men know, take no for an answer, walk away. But we don't know how to handle that experience. And so there are a lot of men walking away, feeling rejected, hurt, pain, loss of connection, and then getting polarized on social media by the manosphere or uh, pickup artists who sympathize with that pain and give them oversimplified reductionist language for talking about that pain. And so part of what I'm trying to fill in is, men, you need a full and vibrant multidimensional life with friends, community, validation of your worth and your well-being. You need places where you can get platonic, non-sexual touch, hugs, and love, so that by the time you approach somebody in the bar, you know that a no isn't telling you you aren't of value. You know that that no is no thank you, 
you're not what I have interest in, and you can move on with a full, vibrant heart, ready to find the next vibrant yes. So the no doesn't have to do with, no, you're a bad person, you're not a good person, you're not a worthy person. You know, it's interesting because right. I know you focus on men. I, I think women are much more, um, they don't, if somebody says no to them, they have a very different kind of response. They don't view it as an attack necessarily on their person. Um, because as you're, as, as you're describing it, I think that's something, I don't know if it's, inherent in the male ego or it's a cultural so. patriarchal society, you know, that we've set them up for that. Um, I th- yeah. I really think that comes from, again, the old messages of manhood that to be a man is to be sexual, to be desired, to be conquering, you know, racking up notches. And we have yet to really replace that old narrative with a model of new manhood that's about being connected, vibrant, valuable in our community. And that gap is causing some pain. And we still don't have a new guiding model for it. And I'm hoping to put out one facet of that. Yeah, well, let's talk about some of the, you have done that in the book. So you have a lot of chapters that help us to do that, right? Um, Let's talk about, yeah, I mean, you mentioned vibrancy. Talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about vibrancy. What does that mean in this context? Yeah. A part of what I'm talking about there is building multidimensional health. We need a social life. We need work-life balance. We need to remember that uh, we have value beyond the labor that we provide and that it's not helpful for us in ourselves to just pour all of our lives into career. We need to manage health physically. We need to manage health emotionally. We need to manage health sexually, to attend to how can we knock our own socks off sexually without a partner? And in that sense, to be sovereign to a degree so that we are whole and so that we have our own guiding principles of sexual health, just like women had Buddy Dodson in the 80s, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, you know, really pushing for female pleasure. I think men need to push for a full-bodied, full-dimensional pleasure in ourselves so that we're not coming with an empty cup to our potential partners, women or otherwise. Are we talking about masturbation? We're talking about masturbation, yep. <laughs> and I always thought, not really, but I think women think men do that pretty well. And <laughs> yeah. maybe they don't. I, 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 they do it, well, but not well. I, Is that what you're saying? Well, you know, I don't want to get into judging what is there already. <laughs> what I'm... I, what I'm trying to invite is an expansion beyond triggering a reflex to identifying how we can create full body pleasure for ourselves, how we can create a sense of emotional release as well as just physical. I think a lot of men are practiced at, um, and I'm not anti-pornography in any sense, but uh, in a broad sense, but to only focus on that stimulus as opposed to our multidimensional self while we're doing that. There's other ways of doing that that can create a sense of, again, vitality, a sense of abundance in us about our sexuality that doesn't make us beholden to a partner. So 
the multi-dimensional self is really the key to kind of um, getting rid of, I guess, is uh, men's fragile egos. That the, the, is that what we're talking about? Fragile egos. But if they were well, more multi-dimensional, they 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 wouldn't that that would mitigate those feelings associated with a fragile ego. Yeah, I think there's a multi-dimensional effect here. We're told that the model of masculine and manhood is a two-dimensional model, and we're told that in multiple dimensions, right? It's just doing, you know, cars and sports, or it's just being an entrepreneur, or it's supposed that we're supposed to be in the gym. None of the images that we get of manhood are multi-dimensional. And that means that for each person, none of us fit into that, you know, as we age, some part of, even if we are a person who's into cars and sports or going to the gym, at some point, some of that's going to change shape. And the fragility comes from being a multidimensional human, but feeling pegged into a two-dimensional identity that doesn't fit. So do you see us going in that in in a positive direction i mean um say with the younger gen i'm talking about i guess millennials and even the the generation that's younger than the millennials gen z well no millennials yeah. gen z gen x very different are they very different than the older generation so. I think, yeah i i do think there's a generational march i mean i'm gen x myself and when I look at the next generation in my children, 10, 15, and 20, and I do think that gender roles are softening, including finally for boys. And I think that boys in certain circumstances and cultural environments are beginning to get different messages earlier on that, hey, it's important for you to have friends. It's important for you to open your heart. It's important for you to be touched by them. And not only is that not gay, but even if it was for you, who cares? You're still a man, and you don't need to be afraid of that, and we will protect you if you do have sexual orientation diversity, if you do have sexual desire diversity, if you do have relational diversity. And so we will protect you. You are deserving of that. And I think that that march is slow, and I think that there are also some concerning elements in the United States of polarization and increased radicalization of men, which I'm hoping to offer an alternative to that is holistic, not shaming, not finger wagging of men, loving of men, but also continuing to hold men accountable to their behavior. Well, I, I always think that some of the, the, the men the, the, um, who sort of succumb to the patriarchy and the misogyny, they're terrified of men who are of gay men, of trans men. And I think as you're talking about this polarization, which is a, a terrible, a terrible thing. Um, so it's sort of, and I see that is happening. Um, and hopefully your book will help mitigate some of that. But um, it, it does seem that in certain ways, things are getting worse, not better. I mean, I, I'm not going to deny that. And, you know, I think that one of the principles that I operate with and that I try to use in my book is the guiding principle that men are good and men's sexuality is good. And I believe that when we frame the conversation with the men in our community, with that starting point, 
we invite them, including those that are vulnerable to radicalization, back towards their best capacities. And so I don't know that I'm trying to frame my book as reaching into the depths of radicalization, pulling men back, but I do hope that there are men who might be vulnerable to radicalization, who could hear the message that I'm offering and who could think, hey, that sounds different. He says he's a feminist, but he doesn't seem to hate men. In fact, he says we're good. Hmm, what's that about? Connections. Aren't we talking that about that? Yeah, it does make sense. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and I'm thinking, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it's about inviting, inviting men back in and, again, still holding them accountable, but giving them a better guide to be successful in relationships and in the new world, that the new culture that is emerging. How well do you think the media is is doing um, in, in relationship in you know in relation to this conversation we're having? I mean, do you think that they are helping the situation uh, or going in the opposite direction? So I think that there are two things that I want to talk about in answer to that. The first is I think that the media is doing a good job and an important cultural contribution to holding predators accountable. And I don't want to critique that at all. And I think that, as we know, in social media, in uh, a lot of consumer-driven media, you know, radicalization, fear, sells. And so I see a lot more articles about what's wrong with men than I do about positive men's movements like the Mankind Project, like the Good Men Project. These are broad social movements that are guiding men towards their emotions, trying to help us open up, trying to help us solve our loneliness epidemic, and that are moving forward with feminism and not against it. But they don't get very as much media as I could hope. Yeah, It, it also begins in the family uh, with mothers and fathers, uh, also, I think. when I mean, I, uh, I'm a grandmother of twins who are five and an older brother who's seven. And uh, I mean, I I look at the way they were raising their kids in the way that you're describing as a positive way for men. And um, so I see that as as hope maybe for the next generation. But okay, so we only have a couple minutes left. Give us website, websites we can go to or how we can uh, you mentioned a couple things, uh, a couple sure. organizations that would be good for us to know about if people want to pursue the topic. Yeah. So my website is drericfitz.com, D-R-E-R-I-C-F-I-T-Z.com. You can find links there to my book, The Mankind Project and The Good Men Project. The Good Men Project is a media outlet that's often picked up by other outlets that is trying to create a large archive of resources for men trying to understand how to navigate new um, a new model of masculinity and manhood. And the Mankind Project brings men together to try to open their hearts and get in touch with our emotions and heal our pain. Great. Dr. Eric Fitzmedrude, thank you so much for being on the show today. His book is The Better Man, A Guide to Consent, Stronger Relationships, and Hotter Sex. Thank you so much for having me. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 